Your financial choices may discuss various financial-related topics and thus would like to offer the following disclosures. Lori Siebert is employed by Valley National Group, the Valley National Financial Advisors Group of Companies. Investments are offered through Valley National Investments Incorporated, member FINRA. We inform you that any federal tax, state tax, financial advice, or information contained in this communication is not intended to be personalized or specific in nature or to be relied upon for your personal situation in any circumstance. The advice and information are not intended and cannot be used as a tax opinion letter nor used for the purpose of avoiding tax-related penalties. For personalized advice specific to your own situation, we recommend that you consult your CPA, CFP, or attorney. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. I am a CPA, CFP professional, and AEP on the web at yourfinancialchoices.com. You can listen online each and every week at wdiy.org. Podcast of prior shows are also available under public affairs there and or on many streaming services. You can also listen on the WDIY app. Today is February 28th, 2024. The markets were down today with the Dow closing at 38,949, the NASDAQ at 15,947, and the S&P at 5,069. Tonight, our topic is avoid estate planning mistakes. Yes, we all have to face this at some point. We are live tonight. We will take your questions. Cindy and Bob are in the studio with us this evening. We'll answer your calls, take your information, and we ask you to mute your radio so you can hear us without the delay and we can talk without confusion. We discuss general financial planning topics and not specific investments. And while I typically have a topic each week, you can ask questions off topic. I'll do my best to answer. The phone number is 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with us, or if you're not comfortable talking live, just give your question to Cindy and she'll write it down and bring it in. If you um, have questions that are not appropriate for the show, you can certainly send those through email at yourfinancialchoices.com. Again, tonight, avoid estate planning mistakes with my guest, attorney Peter Iorio of Fitzpatrick, Lentz & Booba. Pete is a shareholder in the firm's estate planning and administration of trust group. His practice focuses on design and execution of wills, trusts, POAs, power of attorneys, prenuptial agreements, and other documents in estate planning. This includes administration of estates and trusts, taxation, beneficiary representation, and business succession planning in PA, New Jersey, and New York. He develops individualized estate plans, providing counsel regarding minimization of estate and inheritance tax, gift, generation, skipping, and income taxes, as well as sophisticated gifting techniques. He also advises trustees and beneficiaries on trust modifications to minimize or eliminate transfer or income taxes. He graduated from Boston University with a BA in math, University of Virginia with an MA in economics, Seton Hall Law School with a JD, and Villanova School of Law with an LLM in taxation. I'm telling you, this is quite impressive. Originally from New Jersey, Mr. Iorio now lives in the Nazareth area with his wife, children, and dog. Welcome back to the show, Pete. Thank you, Laurie. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you're back. We had a great time with Pete. I felt like it was like months ago. And then when I looked at the date, I think it was November of 2022. So there is a show from November of 2022, which you could find on yourfinancialchoices.com if you want to listen, go back and listen to those old podcasts. But tonight, um, Pete and I thought it would be fun to talk about pitfalls of uh, bad estate planning and how to avoid those. Um, so thanks for being here again, and we have a lot to cover, so I think we'll just jump right into it if you're ready. Sounds good. 
Okay. I will mention the phone number one more time. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. So we do want to talk about those pitfalls to avoid in estate planning, including the lack of estate planning. We have talked before about having the basic documents, the will, the power of attorney, healthcare, living will. Um, Some people need trust and You know, that's been covered a number of times on your financial choices. We're going to talk about some of the specific things to avoid. Um, So the number one thing to avoid is not having estate documents. I will add that. Avoid not having estate documents. So now let's talk about some others. Let's say you have the documents, Pete. Now what do you do with them and why is it important to know this? I mean, this is some critical information you're going to provide now. You don't want to lose the will. <laughs> so it, as important as it is to get your estate plan done, it's just as important to make sure that your documents are somewhere where somebody knows where the originals are located. A lost will in Pennsylvania is presumed to be a revoked will. <gasps> and a revoked will gets you to what's called intestacy. And intestacy means Pennsylvania writes the will for you. And we don't want Pennsylvania to write a will for you if you've already taken the opportunity to get a will for yourself. It's incredible to me, though, because think about how easy it could be to lose that original document. There's no alternatives. Right. And a lot of people think that, oh, I have a copy of the will or someone has a copy of the will. And in certain cases, you can probate a copy of a will, but that involves a, a process that has no guarantees of success. And... The will should be with someone who is going to be a good steward of the will as well. We don't want somebody who has an interest in making sure that will gets lost. So as important as getting that will signed and getting it, you know, safeguarded, you got to make sure that safeguard is a good person. Now, Pete, I have had experiences where clients will say the attorneys will keep the originals. And I've had experiences where the clients say the attorneys will not under any circumstance keep the original Do you have any feeling or comment on that? I'll give you the lawyerly answer, and it depends. Um, Depending on what your personal family circumstances are, sometimes it's an okay decision to keep the original will either at home or in a safe or in a safe deposit box or with a child. Other times it makes sense for the lawyer to hold it or, or some other trusted, you know, advisor, you know, fiduciary, someone like that. Um, I'm currently in the midst of an estate where it's a big estate, many millions of dollars, and we, we still have not found that will. And it's going to create problems for the beneficiaries who this woman wanted to, to enjoy in her estate if we can't find that original will. And that's why it's so important to hold on to mm, it. Mm. I, I, you, you hear about people... Um, in certain states where they might file something with like the county courthouse. Can you file a will that way before you die? Can you put it on record somewhere? Generally, no. Um, There are certain exceptions. If someone's, uh, you know, subject to a guardianship proceeding, then the will may get lodged with the register of wills. But generally, the answer is no. A will is someone's personal property and it only gets filed with with a court um, after someone dies um, and probate is opened. Okay, so moral of the story is make sure that it's a good steward who's holding it. It could be yourself at home in a safe. It could be at your bank, a safe deposit box, or it could be, um, you know, if if you're 
worried about capacity or moving, you could have like your your child who might be appointed an executor or your you know brother or sister or something like that. Just as long as someone knows where the original is. Certainly, and and in a small percentage of cases, uh, the client will say to me, Pete, I want you to hold the, the will, and you know we'll have someone else uh, have a copy of it, and then you know we're in charge and we're we're the steward and we have a a room with thousands of documents that we have to make sure are kept safe. And mm-hmm. I think we do a pretty good job of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good to know. Um, I want to talk about those cases where someone doesn't have a will. Now, you did mention if we can't find the original will, that's the same as like the state deciding under intestacy rules. So there are situations where someone may not have a will. We have about a minute to our first break. So can you just comment on the intestacy rules briefly? Just kind of say that might not be what people think it is. So in general, in Pennsylvania, if you die without a will and you have what's called probate property, that's property in your own name without beneficiary designations, Pennsylvania is going to basically say that your closest living relatives are going to get your property. And that's going to be spouse and children in some fashion, uh, parents, grandchildren, siblings, cousins, so on and so forth. Undone. And and sometimes you don't want it to be those people. Yeah. And sometimes people make the assumption that if there's a spouse, that it all goes to the spouse. And that's not the case, at least in Pennsylvania under intestate rules it could be the children as well the spouse is going to get half and the kids are going to get half yeah so people it might not be what you think that's why we want to talk about avoiding estate planning pitfalls avoiding estate planning mistakes we're at our first break if you have questions the phone number is 610-758-8810 i'm talking with attorney pete iorio of fitzpatrick lenson booba we'll be back in just a moment WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including fee-based asset management. It all starts with personal goals and an understanding of risk tolerance, investment objectives, and the markets. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Spread the word about your business or organization to a well-informed audience. Become an underwriter with WDIY. Our lineup of NPR news and locally produced programs reaches thousands of engaged listeners in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Underwriting on WDIY is an affordable and effective way to provide information about your product and services to people who care. To learn more about underwriting opportunities, 610-694-8100 or WDIY.org. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. I have in the studio with me this evening, Attorney Pete Iorio of Fitzpatrick Lenson Buba, and we are talking about avoiding estate planning mistakes or pitfalls, as you might call it. Um, Pete, we were just talking about making sure that one secures the will, the original document. Otherwise, it may deem to be, as you said, a, a revoked will and could then the estate could fall under um, intestacy rules. There are some people who think they don't need a will because they have done asset titling or put on beneficiary designations or what we call transfer on death or payable on death designations, and they think they have it all tied up and it's all non-probate. Um, can you talk for a minute about what those designations mean. And and I guess, let me kind of clarify, probate meaning it goes through the will. Um, Non-probate, it doesn't have to go through the will because of some other kind of titling. So let's give a little background on that and why 
just because you have that doesn't mean you don't need a will. Sure. So uh, beneficiary designations and, and what you said, non-probate assets, those are assets that pass by contract. So if you have a life insurance policy and you say on the beneficiary designation that you want it to go to your grandchildren and your will says, I want my life insurance policy to go to my favorite charity, the beneficiary designation controls. So the beneficiary designations are contracts and those contracts supersede the terms of a will. So in theory, it's possible for you to dispose of all of your property without the benefit of a will. And some people might think that's a good idea and maybe in some cases that would work. The problem is, is that most people have bills to pay when they die and they're not gonna be paying them but their family's gonna be paying them. And those are things like funeral bills, inheritance taxes, uh, credit card bills. Income taxes. Income taxes. There are lots of things that, that need to be taken care of when somebody passes away. And if everything goes non-probate, then there is a very difficult ability to pay those bills. And what happens in those circumstances, and we encounter them from time to time, is we have to ask those beneficiaries to pay money back. Or we have to say, if you don't pay money back, we're going to sue you. Or the credit card company says, you either pay us or we're going to sue you. So there, there isn't a good way to necessarily avoid probate and still get to a good outcome. The will needs to do its job. Mm -hmm. And there could be circumstances where one might not have captured all the assets in titling, like they forget that the house might be in their name alone, or what if there's an accident and there's some kind of settlement, right? Right, absolutely. And, the, you know, in terms of beneficiary designations, the, the designations don't necessarily take into consideration outside events. For example, your will may say your property goes to your three kids, and if any of them dies before you, it goes to your grandchildren. The beneficiary designation is not going to keep that uh, necessarily in line. And if one of your children dies, that beneficiary property may just go to the two surviving children. So the purpose of the will is to make sure that your wishes are followed through, and those beneficiary designations have no guarantee in the event something unforeseen happens. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about coordinating that, um, uh, coordinating the beneficiary designations along with what's in the will as, as we go through the show, show here. But I also want to make sure that we talk at the beginning here about why our listeners should go get their estate planning done now, sooner than later. You know, there, there used to be a general stat that said half the people don't have a will. I don't know if that's still a good stat, but listeners, I hope my Your Financial Choice listeners are smarter than that and have a will, but can you talk about why you would encourage someone to do it sooner than later? And at what age, Pete? Sure. Uh, in general, um, every person should have the three basic estate planning documents uh, that you mentioned before. Anybody who's over age 18 of sound mind can sign a will and that disposes of your property upon death and appoints an executor to manage your estate. Also appoints a guardian to take care of your children. So, uh, that's what the will basically does. Durable power of attorney, make sure that your finances are handled properly in the event something happens to you and you can't manage your, your property. Healthcare directive or living will, make sure that your medical wishes are followed and also make sure that you're appointing somebody to be your surrogate and speak for you. 
I think it's important for everybody, you know, in their 20s, even before you have children, to make sure that those documents are put in place because we do not necessarily control our destiny and sometimes things Mm -hmm. simply happen. Mm -hmm. And if if you could be in your early 20s and working at a job that has life insurance or group life insurance or 401k, and these are all things that that need attention with either beneficiary designation or a will if something untoward happens as well. Right. Um, And it's not always a good idea to give it to your parents either, right? Of course. (laughs) If you're a a 30-something and you still have mom and dad listed as a beneficiary on your retirement accounts, mom and dad might not need it. And it could cause an estate issue for them as well, I suppose. Yeah, and and, and one thing that I like to say to, to people is, you know, d- don't make your estate plan be a set it and forget it. Take it out of the drawer, look at it, make sure that circumstances haven't changed in your life. Make, make sure that your wishes are still consistent with what they were in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as mentioned earlier, some people think they've done their estate planning by doing those beneficiary designations or asset titling, because asset titling also can, you know, pass by um, the process of, you know, legal titling or whatever. And they think something's better than nothing. And, and I agree. I think something is better than nothing. It's good that you've attended to your beneficiary designations, primary, contingent, um, that kind of thing. But we've, we've highlighted why that might not be enough. So when we say go get a will, um, they have options. Online software, going to an attorney in town. Let's talk about some pitfalls of online software. Online software is definitely an option for some people, and I think especially the younger generation likes to consider that um, just because of the way technology is so ingrained in our lives. I think it's an option worth considering, although all it does is prepare a document. It doesn't give you any advice. And I believe that the advice that I and other estate planning attorneys give is valuable. And... um, you know, if someone's going to pay $1,500 for an iPhone, my thought is an investment in yourself for perhaps half of that cost is what an estate plan is worth from an attorney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer in being responsible as an adult and, uh, you know, doing the right thing, especially for young couples who have children, making sure that they're taken care of Um do you necessarily trust that an online will is going to be what you need? Mm-hmm. I often say uh, the the most, and I said this last week, in fact, the most important question to ask uh, uh, that I like are the questions that someone doesn't know to ask. Yep. <laughs> and that's where uh, using a professional comes in because when you think about online software, they're agnostic to the person who's inputting the information. It's just, as you said, it's just kind of out of the, you know, out of the box. It's just canned they don't know you they don't ask questions they don't give advice where an attorney in your community um, knows the state law knows even possibly relationships and um, the state you know inheritance tax rules or how a will is read or whatever Um, and you can ask the questions that that individual doesn't know so Um, Can you like people will often ask about real estate. Oh, should I give it to my kids? And, you know, it would be sensitive to probably where the real estate is. And and can you give us an example of where you you would catch something that online software might not in those circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. There's 
there's things like, you know, do, do your children have a bad marriage? Mm -hmm. uh, do you have grandchildren who have special needs? Those are things that a online form is not going to take into consideration. Yeah, I want to talk more about that when we come back from our break. I didn't realize I'm having so much fun listening to Pete that I didn't realize that we're at our next break. Phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including income tax preparation for individuals, businesses, estates, and trusts. Tax preparation involves more than putting numbers on a return. It requires planning. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. American folk music offers a variegated pattern of performers and styles. I'm Tom Druckenmiller, your host for In the Tradition. Together we'll trace the roots and branches of American folk music from the earliest recordings and performers through today's talented players. In the Tradition, Wednesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. on WDIY 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices. I'm speaking with Attorney Pete Iorio of Fitzpatrick, Lentz, and Buba. We're talking about avoiding estate planning um, mistakes. And Pete, we were just talking about the difference between using like an online software um, and, and even setting up all these non-probate, you know, beneficiary designations, joint titling and all of that. People think they're being proactive and taking care of their estate planning, but it's really not covering everything. And I love the thought of the questions that you don't know to ask. And you just brought up some great ones that one wouldn't necessarily get from an online software program. Um, you said, you know, how are the how's the kids marriage? Are there special needs? These are really critical questions in estate planning. Um, also, what about uh, coordinating the estate planning of the, you know, the people who come in and say, I want everything non-probate and put beneficiary designations on, and then they, they come in and say, this is what I'm, I want my will to say. Can you, that's beyond online tax software, or uh, sorry, estate planning software as well. Can you kind of give us an example of what that might look like? Sure. And, and, and these non probate or these beneficiary designations really need to go hand in hand with what your will says. For example, um, you know, if, if I have a life insurance policy and I want to make sure that my kids get it, but my will says that my kids get their share of my estate at age 35, I'm going to have to make sure that my beneficiary designation on my life insurance policy says to my kids, but subject to the terms of my will that say that my kids get their share at age 35. And that's where the beneficiary designations and the will really are important to go hand in hand with each other. And you're not going to have online software telling you that. You're going to be guessing with <laughs> Google on that. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. With the life insurance, because life insurance with the name beneficiary would be non-probate. Uh, in Pennsylvania, it's not subject to inheritance tax. Right. But by putting that designation that says subject to the terms of my will, does that make that life insurance probate then? It, it doesn't make it a probate asset, but it does give you the protections that the will has. Okay. So the, the, the thing about life insurance that's really special, you mentioned that it, uh, it's inheritance tax-free. Additionally, if you name a beneficiary instead of naming your estate, which some people will do, you're going to avoid any sort of creditor problems because creditors do have the first bite at the apple when it comes to your estate. 
However, if you on your life insurance, if you name a beneficiary, and that beneficiary can be a trust under your will, you solve the problem of the creditors, and you also make sure that it gets to your children, if necessary, subject to those you know, age 35 restrictions, if that's what you want. Okay, and the age 35 restrictions under the will are presumably under a trust, which we call a testamentary trust. Correct, to make sure that the kids don't blow the money at age 21. Okay, okay. Do you often see that? Not the blowing the money, the the testamentary uh, trust provisions for... In in many cases, um, because Pennsylvania's law, the the default is going to be age 21 for a, a, a minor beneficiary. Oftentimes people, you know, their biggest asset may be their life insurance policy. And, and you know, those, those clients want to make sure that their kids, if they receive life insurance, that it's there for their education and health and things like that. But ultimately it's protected from them making bad decisions at a young adult age. Yeah. And I'll say this, my will says exactly that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, another reason why it's important to do estate planning and to do estate planning now especially if you have children under those ages and you don't want them getting funds. You have to think that through. And a lot of people might not have thought that through if they just name their kids randomly. You start a job and you you put your beneficiary designation spouse and kids on a 401k and your kids are three years old. Four, three, and four years old. Yeah, and I don't don't mean to, you know, use scare tactics, but, you know, I I remember a a long time ago I had an estate where someone died on 9-11 and they're, daughter was the sole heir and there was you know she got everything at age 21 and she spent all that money and it was gone within two or three years and a little bit of prevention by by having a stronger provision in the will would have done a lot better for for that beneficiary yeah and you know one other thing i always like to point out that is attorneys really have you have a, a an array of planning techniques and options. I think I even mentioned at the beginning of the show, you, you, you work with some more sophisticated clients too. So individuals as they go through their working life and their you know accumulation life can have different situations they may have to address. And that's why if you're working consistently with an attorney, they know your lifestyle, they know your family, and they could update estate planning as you go along. You said don't don't just sit it and set it and forget it. Right. And your estate plan needs to be something that's uh, at a minimum, you know, reviewed every few years uh, just to make sure that there have been no significant life changes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the planning um, should include getting the right people to carry out your wishes. You mentioned that with the will. Make sure that whoever is responsible for the will, if it's yourself, you're putting it in a safe place. Um but you also have to rely on, you know, if you're gone, you have to name an executor. Uh, you mentioned a trust. You might have a trust for kids. You need a trustee then. So let's talk for a minute about part of the estate planning. I think one of the biggest hangups for people to carry out the estate planning is they don't know who to name. That, that holds them back. Right. You also have techniques to help people think that through, <laughs> I would imagine. So can you kind of talk about what that would look like? Right. I always like to say we shouldn't let the, the good be the enemy of the perfect. So, you know, oh, if, we can, if we can get the estate Don't. plan to, you know, 98% there, it, to me it's much better than sitting on one's hands and doing nothing. So, you know, fiduciaries, those executors, guardians, trustees, those are – those are tough decisions. Those are the people that you want to implement your plan. 
it's important to consider trustworthy, reasonably adult people. You don't need to be a rocket science to be, scientist to be an executive. You just need to be reasonably responsible. You have to be willing to delegate to a CPA, to a financial advisor, to an attorney to do the heavy lifting. And you just need to, you know, be able to step up when, when the, the call comes. I, I find it interesting that you said, you know, they also need to delegate. Um, because sometimes they don't know everything and and they they get overwhelmed sometimes a trustee and or executor they might be overwhelmed and they might not realize an attorney has done this you know thousands of times right so it's not new news to you <laughs> I'll say this half of what I do is is I write estate plans and the other half is administering estates and trusts when people pass away and so you kind of walk them through that process and what happens and, you know, the marshalling of the assets and gathering of the expenses and the liabilities. Exactly. And, and make sure that the person who died makes sure their affairs are settled as is required under Pennsylvania and federal law. Because that could be really important. We just have a minute to our next break. But, um, for example, there could be debts and bills and there could be a priority in, in how those get paid. But you're... you're sister who you chose as your executor who's trustworthy great smart but may not know that you don't just close the bank account out the week after the funeral and distribute the money it's a little bit more involved in that but some people don't understand that and that's where our our role comes in yeah and you don't want to mess with 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 this stuff because you could have beneficiaries coming back at you you could have creditors coming back at you you could have taxing authorities coming back so tonight we're talking about avoiding estate planning uh, mistakes and pitfalls. I have attorney Pete Iorio in the studio with me from Fitzpatrick, Lentz, and Buba. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including estate planning and tax preparation, especially for Pennsylvania and New Jersey residents subject to state inheritance tax reporting. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with us. We're very nice. If you're not comfortable talking live on air, you could give your question to Cindy and she'll write it down and Bob will bring it in to us. Phone number again, 610-758-8810, or you can email at yourfinancialchoices.com. And if the question's for Pete, I can forward that to him, you know, later. Uh, we were just talking about, uh, you know, making sure you have the right people, trustworthy, working, you know, with good estate planners and estate attorneys. Um, part of the responsibility of the executor and or trustee is that, you know, marshalling of the assets and carrying out the wishes of the, the decedent and or grantor to make sure assets get where they're supposed to and bills get paid, etc. Um, part of that, I said, marshalling the assets. Can you talk about what that means? And, and, you know, having assets all over the place? Is there some things that we can do in our lives now to make that a little bit easier for our uh, loved ones? Ongoing. Sure. So the job of the executor or the trustee is to make sure that, you know, the, the deceased person's assets are gathered and, and basically put in one place. So uh, the estate is a taxpayer. So all of those accounts that are, you know, at different places need to be brought under a new 
tax ID, which is like a social security number. So the more accounts you have, the more complicated it becomes. And, uh, you know, consolidating one's affairs in some respect as one gets older is probably good advice. Um, you know, this estate where we are having trouble locating the will is also the estate where there are 80 different accounts that mm. we know of. Mm. And we have to work to close out each of those accounts and move it to one place. And the more work that is done, um, you know, during life t to simplify, the easier it becomes down the road. Um, I like to advise clients to make sure that their legacy is not a mess. <laughs> um, you know, and I really try with clients to, to make sure they're doing that, too, because when I see 1099, 10, I, I should use a different number, 11, 1099 divs come through for all the individual securities they hold. I do like to tell them, you know, you could put that all in one a brokerage account. You know, we call it, you know, it's put it in street name. You can put it in one account. And the, the, the other benefit of that is you don't lose those assets. I mean, I've had circumstances where people... As they get older, they start forgetting to cash the checks. They don't look at their mail. Now you go and have to look for property that's escheated to the state, which is unclaimed property. You can check that. I always encourage people to go go online, PA Unclaimed Property, uh, New Jersey Unclaimed Property. You never have to pay for that service. It's all free. You just go to the government website. But it does make it, because otherwise that's that circumstance where you'd have to I, um, call or reach out to 11 different um uh, what do you call it, transfer agents or whatever it might right. be that are holding those positions, and it could have been one. There's no requirement to hold paper stock certificates these days, but yeah. we see it all the time that, that yeah. you know, people bought stock in, you know, at and back in 1980, and now they have all sorts of things all over the place. And, you know, this is where I guess your role comes in, you know, making sure that people know what assets they own and, and try to keep them in as few places as possible. Yeah. Now, the executor is responsible for those assets that are in the decedent's name alone. What happens when they have those payable on death accounts? You mentioned sometimes, you know, we still have to pay bills. And if the if the person made everything payable on death or transfer on death, and we don't have probate assets or minimal probate assets, and there's inheritance tax to pay, and the will says the inheritance tax should come out of the estate or whatever it might be. Um, how does the executor manage that? Do, how do you help the executor manage that as the as the lawyer? That's when you have to be creative, and that's when you know you you may need to have a family meeting and say, these are the estate's assets, these are the expected estate bills, and you know those transfer on death accounts. Those beneficiaries may have the, that money already in their own you know checking account, so we have to ask people to contribute money back and with the expectation that you know you're going to contribute money back that, that the estate would have owed anyway mm. or we're we're going to sue you to get it back and we obviously don't want to you know mm -hmm. get involved in court actions so <clears throat> early on in the process we would involve the family and you know sit everybody down and explain you know these are the numbers and this is how it it's going to have to work out and and we sometimes prepare an agreement that says what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. Do you ever have a circumstance where the executor isn't a beneficiary and they have to go to those? For, from time to time, it, it, it does happen. And, and in those circumstances, at least you can say the executor has no skin in the game other than making sure that the will is followed. And maybe in those instances, it's it's 
less difficult than saying, you know, brother and sister, I want you to throw money back in. Yeah, yeah. Um, all very interesting. Um, let's talk about some special situations that we might have. And, you know, you and I talked before that I think we can do a whole show on something that we call like blended families. So you might have second marriages. Second marriages could have resulted from, you know, a prior divorce. It could result from prior, you know, lo loss of a, of a spouse. Um, so we couldn't do a, a, a separate show on that, but let's address it tonight because that really could um, throw up a lot of estate, um, throw a, a lot of, what do I want to say? blockades or something in, in the estate um, administration. So can you give us kind of a thumbnail sketch on why it's critical to get special care in, in circumstances such as, you know, blended families or second marriages? Because yeah. it might not be both have kids. One might have kids. The other one might not have kids, sure. you know. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when husband and wife, you know, share children uh, of, of their own, oftentimes their plan is consistent between the two of them and it's much easier for you know a, an estate plan to say perhaps everything to the spouse at the first death everything to our children equally at the second death you know those are we call i love you wills and most of our married couples may do things like that and that's perfectly reasonable and fine in the blended family situation you you have a you, you have a, a a race where you see well who's gonna die <laughs> who's gonna die first and and depending on who dies first, if you have that estate plan, um, you know, perhaps the surviving spouse gets to decide where those assets go, and um, it may defeat the overall plan of of that that couple uh, if she or he changes their mind after the fact. And in many cases, I don't mean to be cynical. In many cases, people really try to do the right thing morally, not legally, but morally, and they say, well. You know what's what's mine. I want to make sure that my spouse benefits from at the first death, but then that goes to you know my children at the second death, and and they really make efforts to make that happen. But there's no legal duty to do that, and and that's where the challenge comes in. And, and as as you know, parents get older, perhaps people can have them change their minds, and mm -hmm. there's nothing legally that can be done to mm -hmm. um, make that go away. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a caller. We have Barbara from Allentown. Barbara, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Hi, how can we help you? I have cats. In my will, I am going to name a 501c3 as the guardian of the cats to to get the cats when I die. Mm -hmm. will, will naming the 501c3 as the guardian and stating that the cats, you know, cats are property, that they are to go to this 501c3 upon my death, will that be sufficient to transfer them to this 501c3 when I die? And secondly, I, want, I will be getting a life insurance policy naming the 501c3 as the beneficiary in order to give that organization funds for to support the care of my cats when I die. So, two questions. Okay. Is is this guardianship language in my will sufficient to pass them to the 501c3? That's question number 1.
Question number two is, uh, the life insurance policy, it will not, because I'm naming the 501c3 as a beneficiary, then that will not be subject to inheritance tax. And it can, the insurance policy can just go to the 501c3 when I die without going through anything else. Mm-hmm. Is, that co- is that correct? Okay. That can certainly work out. Um, I, I would say you may want to consider a written agreement between you and the organization that binds them to your perhaps verbal agreement with them that and maybe they don't even know that they're going to receive the, these these pets but i would suggest that um be upfront and talk it through with them and bind yourself and bind them to this agreement um i've i've put language in wills from time to time and this is a, a will situation not a not a life insurance policy but i just did a will today where we gave the, the the pets to an organization and we gave the organization some money and that should work under Pennsylvania law. Okay. Yes, we do have a written agreement. It is a contract. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Barbara, I'm just going to add, add a couple comments or observations and something to think about and you don't have to disclose. I don't want you to, you know, disclose any of your assets. I'm just going to give you some comments and observations. Um, I agree with Pete on the the agreement. You want to make sure that happens. Um, I might look to see, do you have, um, you said getting the life insurance. So number one, I'd want to make sure that you have it. If you have the agreement, they should be making sure that you have the life insurance already for them because you may or may not, you know, qualify for life insurance or it might be too expensive or it might be term. So that's one thing. But also if you have like a, a, a retirement account, like an IRA or a 401k, if you name a 501c3 as a beneficiary of that, there is no inheritance tax on that either. And uh-huh. it, and in fact, life insurance going to like, let's say, a friend is, avoids inheritance tax and income tax, whereas an IRA going to a friend or a child has inheritance tax and income tax. So that's where working with an attorney, the, when they look at all of your assets and the goal that you have that you want to accomplish, they might be able to have ideas of, of how to best accomplish that. Um, one other note, I, I had a, I worked at a law firm once and the um, horses were given to someone to watch and money was put in trust. As long as the horses were alive, they would get paid from the trust for the horses. They actually had a vet do an annual certification that they were the same horses. Um, for them to continue to get the money. Now, you may not go to that extent for cats, but I'm just saying that, you know, you never know what one might do with those cats after you're gone even with the agreement. Right, and and, and pets are such a big part of people's lives that we see it um, more and more that um, individuals are going to try to make sure that their, their animals are taken care of in a, um, in a good way following their, their passing. Thank you, Barbara, for your question. Thank you guys for your answer. Okay, have a good night. Bye bye. Um, we have another caller. We have Jim from McCungy. Jim, can you hear us? Hi, Laurie. Yep. Hi. Hi. How can we help Hi. you? Um, I have a question. My grandfather, when he did his will a bunch of years ago, um, he created this. Uh, he was calling it a self-proving affidavit, mm-hmm. where it was another page attached to the end of his will that basically was signed by two witnesses and a notary, and it was supposed to make it easier to execute the will. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've never read about that. I've never heard about it anywhere other than him. So I just wanted to see how accurate that was. Good question. So my understanding of the olden days was that the witnesses to the will needed to go to the courthouse and affirm under penalties of perjury that the signature on the will was in fact the person who signed it and who is now deceased. So mm-hmm. um, most states have now changed that rule that not requiring the witness to actually show up. And instead, when the will is signed, the witnesses to the will are going to sign again in front of a notary and, and basically swear under penalties of perjury that in fact the signer of the will is the person who was there. So the self-proving affidavit is, is a part of most wills that are done in a proper manner in, in Pennsylvania, and that makes the probate process easier in theory if that self-proving affidavit has been done properly. Does that make okay. sense, Jim? Yeah, because if if you, if they don't have the self-proving will, then you have to run around and find those witnesses. I think correct. You have to try to find oh. the witnesses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that and then makes if the witnesses were deceased or something, then I guess that would be more trouble as well. But if they're deceased and it's self-proved, we're uh, good. It, well, if if the witnesses are cannot be found or are deceased, then you have to go through Plan B. If they weren't notarized, yeah, self-proving. Yeah, yeah. If so, it wasn't, okay. Yeah, so um, th- there might be a way to even um, absent a self-proving affidavit to to probate a will. It just m- means that there's more administrative steps t- to get there. As long as you have the original will, chances are that you will be able to probate it in Pennsylvania. Okay. Good okay. good question. Thanks, Jim. Thank have you. A, have a good, good night. Yep. Folks, we are at our last break. If you have questions, love the questions. That's my favorite part of the show. Pete does too, I'm sure. We, we get tired of hearing ourselves talk. Um, 610-758-8810. Back in a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services including portfolio management, tax return preparation, and financial planning for the accumulation years, retirement years, and estate distribution. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Did you know your phone is a radio? You can tune in to WDIY anywhere on the go with WDIY's phone app. Download for free from the Apple or Google Store, and your phone will become your trusted radio. The easy-to-use app lets you listen to WDIY on your phone live and access your favorite music shows on demand. Download and share the WDIY app with your friends and family and introduce them to many choices, real voices. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. We have appreciated our listeners calling in with questions tonight. The phone number is 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with us, or if you're not comfortable doing that, just give your question to Cindy, and she'll write it down, and they'll bring it in. 610-758-8810. So, um, Pete, maybe another time you could come on, and we could talk about the blended family situation. Sure. So there's so many facets to that, and there's so much planning available to people. Um and when we talk about avoiding estate planning mistakes or pitfalls, if you don't do it with blended families, it can get quite um, ugly, can't it? Yeah, those are, those are the challenging matters. And, and, and as much as some people say, you know, I, I want to avoid a trust, a trust is a good 
thought when you have a blended family because then it gets you to the right place. It gets you more maybe administrative issues, and a lot of people don't like dealing with the administrative and, and tax returns and things like that. But having a trust for a blended a blended family situation um, often results in a better outcome. Mm -hmm, I agree. Um, I had a client many, many years ago who actually went to your firm, um, and she did not disclose that she actually had cancer. We didn't know until after. But um, some people are more private about those things. Some people are more forthright. And really, with your professionals, you want to really be forthright and tell them what's going on. But yep. she did go to the attorney and did some estate planning. Her concern was if she died, her husband would remarry and give everything to a new wife. And so she, they set up a trust mm -hmm. uh, for him, d for the husband. So uh, during lifetime, he got income is needed or income no income and principal is needed and then another trust that didn't necessarily have that income provision but he didn't control the money the kids who are trustees kind of kind of control it so yep. it, it it worked out and I think it's it's been great we have another caller we have John from Bethlehem John how can we help you John can you hear us hi. there we go hi yes, I, yeah hi um, yes, I am. Uh, my brother had recently passed away, and he lived in the state of Florida. And I am the trustee of his trust. And I want to make sure that I understand exactly what the inheritance laws are uh, are for when a person, deceased person, lives in another state, and the beneficiaries live in, let's say, myself in Pennsylvania and his daughter in Washington State. Okay. So the way I understand it is that the inheritance laws um, are governed by the state in which the deceased person had lived. Mm -hmm. In this case, since it's Florida, they don't have an inheritance tax. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have to necessarily pay any Pennsylvania inheritance tax. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Mm -hmm. that, that's generally correct. And um, you know, I'm not admitted to the Florida bar, so I will give you that disclaimer. But uh, it depends on the, the domicile, the residence of the decedent as to how Pennsylvania inheritance tax would apply. So if you have a Florida resident, uh, any of their Florida real estate, any of their intangible assets, bank accounts, things like that, are not going to be subject to Pennsylvania's inheritance tax. Now, if the Florida resident had a piece of real estate in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is going to say, well, that little piece of that Florida estate is still subject to inheritance tax. But overall, uh, you're correct. It doesn't matter where the beneficiaries are for inheritance tax purposes. It matters where the decedent lived. Okay, that's that's what I had thought. So you confirmed it. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, thank you, John. Thank you. Have a good night. Um, I appreciate the calls. I think I hear the phone ringing again. Six one zero seven five eight eighty eight ten. That kind of um, raises a question of ancillary probate, a, a complicated word possibly for some people. Do you want to just touch on that for a moment? Sure. So what ancillary probate means is if you own, let's say you're a Pennsylvania resident and you own a piece of real estate in Florida, it simply means that you need to bring the estate down to that other state for administration purposes. So um, if you have that situation where there's a Pennsylvania estate, resident estate, and you have Florida real property, 
the inheritance tax would only apply to the Pennsylvania side of things, and you'd have to look at Florida's laws as to the Florida side of things. Mm -hmm. And Florida is notorious for having a problem with probate. I think it could be complicated. It could be long. Uh, John had mentioned trust, so his brother may have had assets in trust. I don't know. But that's why it's also important when we talk about estate planning to work with an attorney to know what each state's kind of... um, what hoops you have to jump through. I just had a client call me today and say they are now Florida residents and they said they look forward to working with me going forward and I said you've just told me I'm getting fired because I'm not a member of the Florida bar and I told them they need to make sure that their estate plan is in compliance with Florida law which as you said probably means at some point they should get a revocable trust to get rid of those probate issues that that are more of a problem in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, we had uh, clients who were in Pennsylvania who moved to Tennessee, and one of the first things we told them is you go visit a Tennessee attorney. Two different cases, coincidentally, with clients moving from Pennsylvania to Tennessee, and both clients, not knowing each other on different sides of the state in Tennessee, both came back and said the Tennessee attorney said, PA wills are great. They don't have to change anything. That's good to hear. So, I mean... (laughs) In some cases, uh, you know... uh, a, a will done is going to be valid in another state. The question is, is the other law out there, is the probate process out there going to be a burden where you need to consider other issues? Mm-hmm. So you can definitely bring your wills when you move. The question is, should the wills be looked at and updated to make them perhaps better? Mm-hmm. So in your story where you know someone calls and says they're Florida residents, you said, you just told me I'm fired. What if they never go to a Florida attorney? They've got their original PA wills down in Florida. Could you be rehired or or you you defer to a Florida attorney in that case? The will is still good. The will is still good. If they still have a a house in in McCungie, then uh, (laughs) I'm going to do their non-resident Pennsylvania inheritance tax return. Okay. All right. So important to know people for, um, you know, when you're looking at your assets, know where they are sightest, we call it, where they're sightest. It could be real estate. It could be just a piece of, it could be a house. It could be a light, vacant land. It could be a business interest or something like that. Um, okay, good good to know. Uh, Pete, can we talk for a moment about those people who are single? Maybe they've lost a spouse. Maybe they don't have children. They're kind of on their own. Um, are there any um, important aspects of estate planning that they need to pay attention to? Well, I'll say it this way. It, it presents some challenges because in most cases, you know, people who have children want to make sure that th- their children receive their estate when they're no longer here. So then the question is, well, if you don't have children, what do you want to do? And then we, we start talking about things like charities or, um, you know, your you know, nieces and nephews and maybe trusts for them, things like that. It just, uh, you know, makes the attorney work a little bit harder to make sure that their wishes are followed. And maybe more importantly, making sure that the right fiduciaries are appointed. And those are being the power of attorney mm-hmm. and the, you know, the executor. Trustworthy people who um, are not uh, necessarily interested in making sure that they're the sole beneficiary of the estate. What about the cases where you, and I've seen this, where you have an individual who does not have um, a spouse or, or children, and they're really at a loss as to appoint someone to be that fiduciary. I know attorneys quite often feel there's some kind of a conflict of interest and really don't want to serve in those capacities, but what are they left to? What options do they have? 
there are corporate fiduciaries who will serve, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, banks who are allowed under Pennsylvania law to act, and they serve a role, and that, that's a valuable role for people who just simply do not have trustworthy individuals to appoint. So you don't have to appoint, you know, your closest family member to be your executor. Sometimes it makes sense to appoint, you know, the bank down the street who's able to follow your wishes, and they get paid for it, and that's their mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. It doesn't have to be a family member. I'm surprised how often people think it has to be like a family member to be that executor or trustee, and the same applies. That you don't have to give money to your family either. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to name your kids. You don't have to name your nieces or nephews. You, yeah, and, you, and they can be mad at you, but you're, you're dead, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> But you could use it during your lifetime to maybe hold it over them. Um, what about if your kids live with you, adult kids living at home still? Is that that was something you kind of had pointed out? I was thinking, what where are you going with that? You know, sometimes there there are children who are caretakers for their parents, and and they have huge sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've quit their jobs, mm-hmm. or you know, have mom and dad move in. And the question, you know, is morally, is it does it make sense to maybe give them a little bit more of the oh, estate? Oh, so nice, yeah. A- and and the, on the flip side, there are sometimes children who never left home. And the question is, you know, <gasps> what's going to happen when you're no longer here? Are, are, you know, and we've had this come a couple times where we've had to evict adult children in their 60s from the house. <sighs> and the executor has to sue their, their brother. And, um, you know, making sure that the will is clear. And sometimes maybe it makes sense to say, you know, my son can stay in the house for six months, but no longer. Yeah. And, you know, setting forth those clear instructions uh, sometimes goes a long way and it's much better than meeting your family in court. Yeah, that's great. It's um, just a quick side story. My family, I'm one of six kids. My brother and his wife moved in with my mother, who's 93. Very independent, doing great. But it worked out for all of them that he's in the home. And the siblings, we all said, hey, Mark's always been there for mom. The rest of us all moved away. Mark should get the house. We, Everyone agreed. We went to mom, said, mom, we think you should give Mark the house. You know, because traditionally, parents think they have to give everything equally to the kids. Sure. We said, just give it to Mark. She's like, really? I was thinking of that. Let's do it. And so that's what she ended up doing in the will. She's still alive, but, you know, Mark's going to get the house. And it's kind of nice to have those conversations ahead of time so there's no conflict right. after you're gone. Like you said, don't leave it in a mess. And try to do the right moral thing. Yeah, I love that, Pete. Um Closing comments, Pete? We got a minute. Uh, A lot of people don't like thinking about dealing with an attorney. We have a role, and, you know, most people who are responsible adults should consider getting their estate planning done. doesn't mean it needs to be complicated or overwhelming. It just means making an adult decision and planning for the future. Mm -hmm. And the attorneys will help you through it. They have checklists. They know what questions to ask. They make it easy. And if if someone's not making it easy, get a different attorney. Absolutely. Okay. Pete Fitzpatrick, Linson, Booba, people want to reach you. What's your phone number? 610-797-9000. And your website? www.flblaw.com. FLB for Fitzpatrick, Linson, Booba. Thank you so much, Pete. It's always a pleasure to have you. I hope you come back and do that blended family show with me. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Thank you, listeners, for calling in. We love the questions tonight. I always say WDIY has the most sophisticated listeners. Thank you, Bob and Cindy, for being here. Thank you, Pete. 
over here for being here as well. Next week, I'm going to have tax planning ideas for 2024. Coming up next, we have Tom Druckenmiller within the Tradition Folk Music. Remember, pay attention, be proactive, not reactive. Make the best of your financial choices. Have a great week. (laughs) 